Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Well, I am uh, very glad to be with you this morning. The other day I had a a moment where uh, my heart rate began to increase uh, quite rapidly and uh, had a whole lot, my body broke out in sweat. I thought there was something wrong. My face went all red. I became very short of breath and uh, it turns out I was allergic to exercise. So um, I don't know, I, I probably won't do that again. So... But we're in a series called CrossFit. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a CrossFit or a, a gym of any kind. I went to the gym a few years ago. I'm not much of a fan of the gym because I'm not a fan of mirrors. Um, you know, you see people working out and you think they've got no hope and you realize it's your own reflection. So, so um, yeah. I already know what shape I'm in. I don't need a, a, Anyway, so... Hey, I want to talk to you on the subject this morning of Bible burpees. Bible burpees, so uh, we're going to, this series is uh, not going to be a comfortable series. We're talking about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about the exercises, the, the intentional movements that we need to make in our life in order to produce the desired outcome that we have for our life. And uh, so don't expect this all to be like covered in, in the, the beautiful glaze that they put on those donuts at Krispy Kreme. I'd go for a whole body glaze just between you and me. I'd just let myself go under that machine. Imagine that. Don't imagine that too long. Wonderful. We're going to uh, go into the book of Matthew this morning. I just want to zoom in on a few scriptures. We don't have time uh, to cover all of this, but we'll just read a few select scriptures. We'll start in Matthew 4 and verse 18. And uh, this is the calling of the first disciples. Jesus is launching his ministry. And the account of the calling of the first disciples, you need to understand that this calling is one that's echoed in your life as well. That Jesus extends the same call to you as he does to these disciples. And and really this morning, Jesus is walking along the shores of your life and he's calling to you in the same way. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee in this instance. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. What I love about this statement is that Jesus isn't content to leave you in the same condition he finds you. He's not content just to leave you on the shores of your life, but you know, without a hope of a, of a future and a, and a right relationship with God. But he's also not content just to leave you in the same spiritual condition that he finds you. He wants you to, to be molded, to be shaped, to be transformed, to be changed. And when we realize that God has a, has a higher calling for our life, it, it, it produces a response in us. The Bible says that in view of the mercy of God, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. There is a higher calling that requires a level of consecration. So these disciples leave where they were. They leave the place that Jesus found them and they, they follow. The, the idea of consecration is something that maybe has gone missing in our society. There are things that are sacred. There are things that are, that, that are set apart. There are things that are holy. There are things that are regarded too valuable to be interfered with. And I wonder if you see yourself as a consecrated, sacred vessel for God to use in, your, in, in this life. Or whether you think lowly of yourself. Maybe you've disregarded yourself. God has a very high 
view of who you are and who you're called to be, that you're meant to be dedicated to his purpose and deserving great respect and reverence. And so Jesus calls these disciples, it says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Let's jump into chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, now he went, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Because how many people know that, that the one decision to follow Jesus is going to be followed by a lot more decisions? The movement of moving away from what was old and what was familiar to you, what was maybe broken in your life away from that. That's just the first movement in many. So Jesus begins to give them instruction. He starts with the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they have become. This is a revolutionary sermon. Jesus is, is removing the attention on the outward appearance, which was primary at that time. All these behaviors, over 500 laws that governed every aspect of your outward appearance, of your outward action. And he's redirecting attention onto an inward reality. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means that blessed are those who have a dependency on God who realize that they don't have it all together, that realize that they are in need of saving, that realize that they are in need of the grace and the mercy of God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. As Oswald Sanders says, no one attains full maturity without the experience of sorrow. So what Jesus is doing is teaching the disciples a new way of of living. If you want to attain the mountaintop experience of life with God, there are some things that you need to stop doing, some things you need to start doing. And what I love about this sermon that Jesus launches here is that all of these ideal characteristics of kingdom people are present in perfection in himself. So unlike every other sermon you'll ever hear, Imagine the flow of conviction from Jesus at this moment. I mean, everything that he's sharing is present in perfection in himself. Unlike the message you hear this morning, the ideas that I give you, these are not present in perfection in my life. I just want to give you that as a, as a disclaimer. Hey, I want you to go with, with me to Matthew 6. We'll pick up the verses that Pastor Mel read. It says, do not worry that Verse 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that even mean? His kingdom means the authority of his reign and rule over your life. If it's a kingdom, there's a king. And what he says happens. And a right relationship is what we would call righteousness. So a right standing with God in heaven, where there's nothing blocking your relationship. There's no static on the line when you pray. There is a clear connection that you stand before God holy and blameless because of the blood of Jesus washing away your sins, your indiscretions, your mistakes. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, all the other stuff of life will be given to you as well, let's just read one more verse in, verse, in chapter 7. Let's pick up verse 18. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I love this metaphor. You pick this up in, uh, in Luke chapter 6 as well. You know, no tree can, no, no, no good tree can bear bad fruit. I love that Jesus likens us to a tree because there's some things in life that are attained after a period of time. They're not gifted through effortless spontaneity, like through drive-through McDonald's. That, that is not everything in life. 
So let's have a look at some of the things, the disciplines, the activities, the movements that, that God wants us to participate in. Why don't we take a moment? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this series. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you didn't just come and demonstrate a great life, but that you taught us how to live. That you invite us to participate in your purpose. That you call us to something that's higher, something that's greater. So Father, this morning, as we move further into this series, God, we, we get ready for put gym into session. Lord God, we're ready to exercise. We're ready to let go of some things and embrace some new ways of doing life. Holy Spirit, would you make it easy for us to understand your word this morning? In the name of Jesus, amen. I believe that every person wants to have a fruitful and effective life. I don't believe that there's anyone here this morning that you want the, the, the summary of your life, the hashtag of your life to be meh. Or that you want your life to serve as a warning to others. You want your life to be fruitful, to be effective. You want it to bear good fruit. The thing that I found about fruit is that it appears on mature and established plants doesn't appear instantly when you first plant something in the ground, but I've found that a lot of the time we can short-circuit our fruitful life, our effective life, by continually uprooting things in our life. So people move from job to job. Every six months, they're changing their career because after six months, they find that the sizzle and the, the passion and the enthusiasm around their job has faded. And it's where faithfulness begins to kick in. And they're not sure if they want to do that journey, pay the price to bear the fruit in their career. We see this in relationships, people discarding relationships after a certain period of time. And people put this language around it. How did you get that job? Oh, I kind of fell into it. Oh, how, why aren't you with that person? Oh, we fell out of love. Everyone's so out of balance. We're falling into things and falling out of things. There's no, there's no purpose and conviction in what we're doing. Everything's by accident. But Jesus teaches his disciples and he teaches us that there's certain actions, there's certain movements in our life that we need to put on repeat so that we can bear good fruit in our life. And what I've found is that the idea of being a fruitful person, the idea of living an effective life is something that comes to us in light speed. Oh, that's a great idea. You get it. You see a picture of it. You're like, yes. How they suck you into those gym memberships on the 1st of January. They're coming back around. Your New Year's resolution to exercise. Because I want to look like that picture. Right? Speed of light. But I found that the fulfillment of a vision, the, the outworking of the dream, the moving from vision to function moves at the speed of agriculture. <laughs> it is painfully slow. It takes years. For a tree to grow and to bear good fruit. And our society are constantly trying to cut wait times. We don't want to wait in a queue anymore. You go into a bank, you see some, I feel sorry for that poor, poor guy now at the bank. And all he's got to do is just direct traffic. You know, he's always got to smile. He's always, because we don't want to stand in a queue anymore. We, we, want, we want the fastest internet access. We don't want to wait for the app to download on our phone. We just want it now. But you know what, God? God is actually trying to grow a wait time in your life. For those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. That there's a healthy wait time. There's a healthy patience threshold that we can develop in our life. 
So Jesus didn't just live this extraordinary life and demonstrate it, but he taught us to do the same. And he taught us these spiritual exercises. I want to invite Tim Taylor because I'm allergic to exercise. I want to get Tim Taylor up here. And uh, unlike, unlike me, he was born with muscles, which are great. And Megan's so excited about those. But anyway, we won't, go, we won't get there. Uh, Tim is going to demonstrate for us the burpee. Now, before you do, the burpee is not named after the, the feeling you get after you do a few of these. It was, uh, it was in fact, uh, named after the guy who invented it, Royal Huddleston Burpee. And uh, there aren't enough kids called Royal Huddleston anymore. And so it was designed to be done four times in a row. So next time you're at your CrossFit and he's you know, going, do 100 burpees. He said, this was only designed to be done four times and uh, as a fitness test. So can you demonstrate the burpee for us? The, the burpee is a sequence of different movements that we're going to start with. So can you just do one and then we'll break it down? So here goes the burpee. Go down and up and then up. Okay. How good is that, huh? That's a burpee. Thank you, Tim. So... So most people here this morning, you think you'd probably do one, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I could maybe do one without having that allergic reaction. But the value of the burpee is in its repetition. So they've worked out that this, this exercise, you, you go down into the squat and then you go down into the push. I'm not going to do it for you, don't worry. And you, go down, you do your push up and you jump, and you jump. The amount of muscles that are being activated and exercised and it... it, it, it it's a full body exercise. They love the burpee because you can add it to every other exercise that you're doing. Every other routine is throw it in. Just do 10 burpees and, and add so much. Four burpees. Sorry, four. four. You get stronger. It bo- it's, it's known to boost endurance in athletes. You can do them anywhere. But here's the thing. It's the repetition of the movement. That builds strength. If you just do one, when was the last time you read a scripture? Oh, it was last week when they put one on the screen. When was the last time you prayed? What was the last time the service leader encouraged us to pray? When was the last time you did some of these spiritual disciplines that Jesus taught us? Oh, well, I can't actually recall. It's the repetition of the disciplines. It's a movement. It's an exercise that we do. So Paul instructs the Thessalonians. He says, uh, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. In fact, as you are living. Tick. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more. (sighs) I thought I was doing all right. You are. Just keep doing it. And again and again. Put on the repeat cycle. As Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. So the first burpee I want to talk to you about today is simplicity. The discipline of simplicity. The discipline of simplicity leads to freedom, it leads to joy, and it leads to balance in our life. Simplicity leads to clarity in our life. It is the ability for you to stay in your lane. We long for simplicity because it removes the noise and the clutter that threaten to steal our sense of peace and our intimacy with Christ. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 11, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. Man, minding your own business with social media, that's a challenge. 
so that in your daily, your da- so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Leonardo da Vinci said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. We long for simplicity. We long for it, but we often choose duplicity. We take simple things and we make them complex. And at the root of this is that we have two masters or three masters. We long for a quiet soul, but instead of dealing with the thunderstorm that rages within ourselves, we choose to pile on more activity, more noise, consume more media, watch more movies, get, fill our schedule right up to the brim so that we don't have time and energy to confront what's really happening within ourselves. We feel conflicted within because we lack the discipline of simplicity. A.W. Tozer described simplicity in his book, The Pursuit of God, as the pearl of the gospel. He said that he would leave all for this. He writes this, every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its stead are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention, but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. Does that sound like your life? Sounds like my life. So we, instead of choosing simplicity, we choose to project a false image of ourselves. We buy certain clothes. We drive certain cars. We only post certain images on our social media because we are unsure and uncertain that who we are would be validated and accepted by others. We buy stuff to occupy our attention and draw the attention of others. As it's famously said, we buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We live bound to the opinion of others, feeling trapped by our circumstances and wishing we were anywhere but in our now. We'd much prefer to be in your now. So I found myself doing this in Queenstown, New Zealand, on holiday, surrounded by the most important people in my life, my family, and I'm there checking Instagram and, oh... They look, that looks like a good cup of coffee. What? Put the phone away. Stop comparing your now with someone else's now. Robbing your joy. Competing for the affection of your heart. Richard Foster writes, our need for security has led to an insane attachment to things. So we choose jobs and items that provide status and we sacrifice gifting and calling on the altar of insecurity maintenance. So it goes without saying that living a duplicitous, complicated life is hard. It's hard work to keep spinning up that image, to keep projecting that false image of yourself to everyone else and even to God himself. But simplicity removes the need to serve two masters. 
Jesus said in Luke 16, he said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one or despise the other. And Jesus gives an example. You can't serve God and money. So simplicity begins with an inward reality that leads to an outward lifestyle. I'll say that again because it's really important. It starts with an inward reality that leads to an outward lifestyle. Any attempt to short-circuit that and remove the inward reality and just worry about the outward lifestyle leads to religious legalism. And every time we project our outward lifestyle without worrying about a conversation about the inward reality, we get ourselves into trouble. Not everything can be solved with a policy and a procedure. I'm trying. There's an inward reality we need to embrace first. And what's the inward reality? It's found in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. See, it's so easy for us to lose focus and become distracted by, by uh, job, by position, by relationships, by status, by wealth. And all these things have their place, but not first place. So what comes first in your life? What comes first in your heart, in the inner place in your soul? What what do you choose first? In order to exercise the discipline of simplicity, we need to learn to seek first the kingdom of God. Before anything else, before even those things that are virtuous and noble. Oh, should I give all of my money to the poor? No, 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 put a pin in that. First, you should seek the kingdom of God and and this righteousness. Oh, should I become a missionary in Mozambique and, and, and spread the gospel over there? Good thought. Let's put a pin in that because first you need to seek the kingdom of God. When we start to cultivate the choosing first, the the putting of Jesus in first place in our life, we find that the duplicitous lifestyle we've been living begins to change. And there may be expressions that are unique to you that you don't need to impose on another person. But they may look like this. You start buying things for their usefulness rather than their status. It may be that you begin rejecting anything that is producing an addiction in you. You start developing a habit of giving things away. Because you realize that anything you can't give actually owns you. You don't own it. You refuse to be manipulated by new and shiny. You learn to enjoy things without owning them. That's a big one in our society. We like to own things because we feel we can control them. We develop a deeper appreciation for creation. We may uh, transform our speech to becoming plain and honest rather than embellishing and I love what Craig Rochelle said this week. He said, uh, he's a pastor in the U.S., runs the largest church. He said, we're never more like the devil than when we lie. It's a big thought. Rejecting anything that breeds oppression of others. Removing anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. These may be outward expressions of the inward reality that you begin to move in your heart and in your life. The, The discipline of simplicity and saying, Jesus, you take first place in my life. I remove anything else that's sitting in your throne right now. Why don't we take a moment right here. Let's press pause in the service. Close your eyes. Father, we remove anything that's in the wrong chair right now. If it's sitting in your throne as the Lord of our life, 
we remove it here in your presence. And Jesus, we invite you to occupy that seat, first place, center of everything. We shake off the duplicitous lifestyle, the projection of ourselves. God, we long for the peace, the balance, and the freedom that comes from the discipline of simplicity. God, if it means we've got to break some habits, we're willing to do that. But God, it starts right here in this moment. Jesus, you have our hearts. We want for no one else. We want for no thing but you. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a burpee. We just did a burpee. And we can repeat that burpee every day. Jesus, only you. None but you have that place in my life. That's a discipline of simplicity. All right, second discipline. Second burpee. It's the burpee of serving. I told you it wasn't going to be a comfortable series. Discipline of service. I can remember being a worship leader uh, at C3 Church Ride for many years. I was a worship leader there for 10 years. And, uh, and, and we would get to our hired facility each morning. We didn't have a hall or a building at this time. And so we'd get there and we had uh, three Sunday services, two morning and one evening. And uh, we used to, you know, uh, encourage one another with, you know, you're on the triple this week. And that'd mean you're on every service. But as the worship leader, you would get there, you know, first up and, and another team were meant to arrive. And the first thing you had to do was unload all of the equipment out of this cupboard. And so fold back, you know, all the front of house stuff, all the amps, the power, the sound, the sound desk, you know, the subwoofers, these big speakers, you'd be dragging this out. And, and I remember being there by myself one morning when other people were meant to have turned up and I'm serving, and I'm sweating and I'm having that allergic reaction that I talked about. And I was, I was annoyed. I was annoyed that no one else was here and they should be doing this. And God, why do we have to do this and blah, blah. And, and I got this, do you know what God said to me? He said, this is good for you, Tim. This is good for you. And I realized that the inconvenient truth about serving, and we hear the inconvenient truth about climate change, the inconvenient truth about serving is that it's not about you. Ha <laughs> that'll set you free. It's not about you. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. At the core of serving is at the ability for you to give your life without expectation of anything in return. When was the last time you gave something away and didn't create a ledger in your mind? When was the last time you just gave something that you came and you poured yourself out for the cause of Christ without expecting admiration, applause, bright lights, to win a Watsy. To, to, what, what? I know that there's some really keen people. You've been voting for yourself all week, I know. See, the thing about serving is that serving opens up platform of authority in your life. So Jesus told this parable. He said he, he gave three servants money. The master gave three servants some money. 
and he went away for a period of time. And he said, look after the money until I get back. And two of the servants took the money, invested the money, and reaped a hundredfold return. So the one that started with five got ten. The one that started two got four. But there was one guy who just buried his talent and didn't get anything back. Put under the mattress. And he just gave it back. And the, the master says to the two first servants, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to make you ruler over much. What's the principle here? The principle is that serving with little leads to authority with much. So we never want to give authority to people who haven't demonstrated serving. That's the seed of a dictator. When we understand that I've got to serve, that then I take on responsibility and therefore I can embrace authority. And you can't test responsibility until authority leaves the room. So if Pastor Mel and Paul weren't here this morning, would we still have church? Is there prayer that when they go, that please don't burn the building down? Or when they get back, will they be pleasantly surprised that we've cleaned the place, that a whole lot of people got touched by the power of God, that we had a great morning. In fact, it was better when they weren't here than when they were here. That's, see, see that's, what, that, that's what they're looked at. Serving releases authority in your life. It's an inconvenient truth that it's not about you. It's also at an inconvenient time. Serving is never at a comfortable moment. Waking up early on a Sunday to serve in the house of God doesn't feel great. Woe is me that I must leave my bed. But here's the thing. It's how we move from being a consumer to a contributor. If you want to be someone who participates in the purposes of God, you've got to embrace the discipline of serving. And it's not that you just do it once. Oh, I tried that. That was great. But you do it again and again and again. Can I have that, that can of deodorant? See, see, a lot of the time we just accumulate deodorant cans in our Christian walk. We go to a conference and we pick up a deodorant can. That is such a good message. We'll just put that there. And then we go and we get a podcast and we get another one. And we collect deodorant cans every time we consume a service or consume a conference or consume a podcast or consume, and we just keep collecting, collecting deodorant cans, and, and, and they smell great. They're, they're really great content. But you know the value of the deodorant can is in its application. I'm going to help some teenagers here this morning. It's when you apply what you've gathered, what God has given you. See, it would be useless if Jesus spent all this time teaching all of this stuff and the disciples never did any of it. These are meant to be sprayed on to your life, used in your life. So it's one thing to discover the will of God. It's another one to do it. And when you serve, you do the will of God. You pour out yourself for another person. You give of your life for the purposes of God. I'm wondering if you're here this morning and you have a desire in your heart to be used by God. That there's something within you. It's like the Bible describes it like having eternity set in your heart. God put that desire there. He put this beacon for eternity to be used for the purposes of God, to be used for something that requires a level of consecration, a, a, a decision to set yourself apart. 
And I'm wondering this morning if you've ever made that decision. It's a decision to, like these disciples on this beach in in Matthew 14, to, to leave where you were and to follow Jesus. To make that significant shift from just going about the life that, that you inherited or that someone told you should do to one that where you are pursuing the things of God with an intentionality of being used for His purpose and for His glory, doing extraordinary things with your life. It starts with this decision to follow Jesus and to surrender the Lordship of your life to Him. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.